0: Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly.
1: From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox Talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine podcast with your hosts
2: Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson.
0: Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine podcast presented by SeatGeek and Visit Arizona. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of January 28th, 2019. On this week's episode, we'll be recapping Sox Fest 2019, which means more Manny Machado talk. Yay! I know the topic is tiresome, but the White Sox general manager, Rick Hahn, was available to comment about the team's pursuit of Machado. We'll have those audio highlights later in the show for you to listen, and we also have the latest rumors about Machado, as the San Diego Padres are now getting involved. You, our listeners, also had many questions, which we tackle later in the show in PO Sox. Tis the season for new top 100 prospect lists as they are being released, and it's been a fun time for Chicago White Sox fans the last few years as more players earn the recognition, and it's always cool to see one of your favorite team's top stars be in the top 10. However, as more prospects graduate from the White Sox farm system entering the major leagues, how much longer can the White Sox tout having one of the better farm systems in all of Major League Baseball? Well, to help announce MLB Pipeline's Top 100 and analyze the current state of the White Sox farm system is our very good friend of the podcast. It's senior writer from MLB.com. It's Jim Callis. And hello, Jim. Welcome back to the show. And uh, I I hope 2019 is treating you well so far. Uh, How was this year's process building the Top 100 list?
1: I'm kind of, you know, business as usual. I mean... I guess I'm getting old, Josh. Uh, I was part of the first top 100 that we did at Baseball America, and I think that was 1990. So I've done about 30 of these. <laughs> so uh, the process is kind of the process where you know it's actually easier doing a top 100 than it is doing a team list because on the top 100, I mean, you know the pool of candidates. The, the top 30, there's going to be guys who come up that you didn't know much about. Like I, I haven't started on my White Sox top 30 stuff in depth. But I'm sure there will be a guy that I'm like, oh, I didn't realize the guy was that good. I need to get him on the list. But top 100, I mean, you, you make your list. I mean, I know BA does it very similar to how we do it at MLB. You know, big shock there <laughs> since I've been at both places. <laughs> but like, you know, everybody you know who has a kind of a vote, a preliminary vote, you know, puts together a list. We do 125 at MLB, and then you kind of mash them together in a spreadsheet, and you come up with an order, and then you talk about stuff that 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 you know there, there's you may not make logical sense, like you may have. You know, like I always like looking at the previous year's draft, and not that you're beholden to where we ranked them before the draft or where they got drafted, but you still don't want to go crazy and say, "Oh, like here's some guy in the third round we're putting in the top 100," or "Hey, you know this guy was the 18th overall pick, and we thought he was about the 18th best player in the draft, and we're putting him ahead of a guy." we had ranked 5th who went 7th or you know something stuff like that and then we just get a bunch of feedback from the industry so the process was was pretty much business as usual um and uh you know the we like the list we you know it's always interesting to kind of see how it comes together and uh you know white Sox fans are probably happy cuz not only do they have six guys on our list but all six of them rank ahead of the highest cup so there's that too in the the battle for chicago <laughs>
0: Yeah, the Cubs are going to have to do some work as far as rebuilding that farm system. But, hey, if the White Sox can have the recent success that the Cubs have had in the last three, four years, uh, sign me up for that. Uh, As you mentioned, the White Sox do have six players in the top 100. It's Eloy Jimenez at number three, Michael Kopech at 18, Dylan Cease at 21, Luis Robert at 40, Nick Madrigal at 47. So the White Sox have five top 50 prospects. And then Dane Dunning comes in at number 80. When you do look at the farm system as a whole, Jim, where do the White Sox rank now compared to others? Because I I see a lot of of Tampa Bay Rays players. I see a lot of San Diego Diego Padres. I assume those are the two top farm systems. Also, the Atlanta Braves. Can't forget about them, too.
1: Yeah, we haven't officially ranked them yet. I guess we'll do that in a little bit. But um, the Potters, to me, are the clear number one. And the Rays would probably be the clear number two to me. I still think the White Sox are in the top five. I mean, we've talked about this a number of times over the years. My personal philosophy is, you know, in a perfect world, yeah, you'd love to have 10 top 100 prospects. And you'd love to have unbelievable depth and talent at every level and balance between hitting and pitching. And it, it, you know nobody has a system like that usually. I mean, if you do, you have the best system in baseball. And to me, the number one factor when you're looking at all that stuff is star caliber talent. Not necessarily, oh, guys on the top 100, but like I, I would rather, you know, the White Sox are still near the top. I would rather have six guys on the top 100 and a couple other guys who who just missed. And there's three other guys looking at this who were on the list in the past. You know, Rutherford and Collins and Hanson have been on the list at times, and Basabi and Adolfo just missed. You know, I'd rather have those star caliber type guys than the depth. I mean, I think the White Sox system is more impressive, relatively speaking, with their top, you know, eight to ten prospects, than the bottom eight or ten on the top thirty. I mean, and I know everybody's list is, you know, the top ten is better, but I just mean, relatively speaking, I think the top of their list jumps out at you more compared to other teams than the bottom of their list does compared to other teams.
0: And let's talk about the very top of that list. As for the Chicago White Sox, you know, in, in 2019, we're hoping to see Ilo Jimenez and Dylan Cease, and obviously. Um, Michael Kopeck will be out for this year with Tommy John. I'm assuming Jim that he could still qualify for the twenty twenty top one hundred list because he's missed two thousand nineteen. Is that correct
1: yeah we use we just used well, but you know unless you are an international player who is not subject to the to the bonus standard so if you're an older international guy, we won't include you, but other than that, it's purely. The rookie rule, like they have in Major League Baseball, it, it's 50 innings pitched, 130 at bats, or 45 days of service time before September. If you exceed any of those, then you're done. You know, in terms of being a rookie and a prospect, and Kopech won't exceed any of those because he won't pitch this year. So yeah, he'll be back next year. Uh, it's we. Uh, it's it's interesting because <laughs> I, I'm thinking about this. Most of the guys on the list ahead of him as pitchers he'll probably graduate. Maybe Mackenzie Gore won't. But like it'll be curious to see where we rank him. He theoretically could be the the you know, the number one or number two pitching prospect in baseball coming off a year where he didn't pitch because of Tommy John surgery.
0: <laughs> that is that is funny. So uh if that does happen, he'll still be a top twenty five prospect. You know, if Eloy and Cease do graduate this year, who's next in your opinion that could enter that top twenty uh, as far as range for White Sox prospects, is it a Luis Robert? Is it a Nick Madrigal? Is it somebody else?
1: I think it's definitely Luis Robert. I mean, we got it. You know, it, it, his career's been a little different than I think everybody envisioned. You know, he gets the twenty-six million dollar bonus, the second highest in, in amateur history, in May two thousand seventeen. And this is a guy who had a lot of success in Cuba's top league as an eighteen-year-old. I think the expectation was this guy could move pretty quick. And he just has never been really 100% healthy. I mean, knee injury, ankle injury, thumb injury, um, and so he, he's barely played his first two years, or, or played a lot less than people hoped. And you know, hard to find a rhythm. And, and even in the fall league, he went to fall league, and I think his first couple days there, he strained a hamstring and missed seven or ten days. And then he came back, and and you could see the tools. I mean, just the first time I'd really, I'd ever seen him play. First time I think a lot of scouts out there had seen him play. And he probably had the best combination of, of, you know, exit velocity and hard hit balls, however you want to measure that, just bat speed and, and ball jumping off the bat and just quickness of anybody in the league. I mean, it was, I mean, he hit the ball, you know, I, I we don't have exit velocity data on everybody, but I mean, he hit the ball, you know, probably maybe as hard as anybody not named Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and he's a little bit better runner than Vlad, probably about you know two and a half grades better than Vlad. Um, <laughs> so it's exciting. So I think the upside's definitely there. Now, all that said, I mean he's got he's got to stay healthy, and you know he he didn't have a great offensive year. He didn't even homer last year in the minors in, in fifty games. So I mean he's still got to put it together. You know, Madrigal could I, I still. I'm still a little conflicted on him. And I, I think we probably I – mean, we must have talked about him before the draft because he was a mm-hmm. obvious White Sox target. And, you know, kind of he did the same thing in pro ball that was kind of the concern. You know, look, I mean, the guy is – you know, was the best hitter in the draft. He can run. I think he's a gold glove caliber second baseman. I don't, I don't really think he's a shortstop, although – I would do what the White Sox are going to do, which is expose him to short. He hit 303 in his debut, most of which was in high A. He only struck out five times in like 160 something plate appearances, but man, he 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 didn't impact the ball much. It was a weird, you know, he hit 303 and he had a 701 OPS, and and that's tough to mm-hmm. do because you kind of get credit for 606 right off the bat when you're hitting 303 roughly. Um, and I just don't, you know, the, the questions about. You know, this guy's a great college player. He's a, he's a, he's a really good player, but how much is he going to impact the ball? How high can you take him in the draft? I, I still have that in the back of my mind. So I really like Nick as a player. I think he's a high floor guy, and we obviously have him ranked pretty good. He would have to drive the ball more. And and you know, in his defense, look, he had as long a college season as anybody, and he was hurt. Um, you know, maybe he wasn't, you know, at at full strength and and whatever. We'll see. But, like, to me, he's got to drive the ball more before I think about him in the top 20.
0: I agree with you. And that was going to be one of my questions in this segment about Madrigal. I I wrote, I don't know how many thousands of words about Nick Madrigal in our draft coverage on Sox Machine leading up to the draft because I just thought that he would be a target by the White Sox. And lo and behold, he was drafted by the White Sox. But I agree with you, Jim, The the first question that I That I wrote about in my first piece about Nick Magical is, do you you as a team believe you can develop power? Because if you can, then you would want Nick Magical because he's got elite contact skills. But if you don't think you can develop power, you may want to pass on him because he doesn't bring a lot of power into this game. Do you think that teams can help players develop more power? Have you seen it where a prospect that may have a 40 or 45-grade power can develop into 50 or 55-grade?
1: That would be extreme to me because we put okay. a 40 power on him. And, again, I don't think it's fair to just say the pro debut is the sole sum of his power. But 40 it seems fair. I don't think anybody's put more than a 40 on Nick Madrigal. And 40 right now, eh, that's probably you know, 10, 12 home runs. Like you know, fifty to me now is eighteen or twenty, or you know, if you want to be streaming okay. a little more. I I have a hard time seeing Nick Madrigal as a twenty home run hitter. Like like I just don't see that. You know, part I mean, you know, but the one thing I do think, and this is oversimplified, and somebody's going <laughs> I I don't mean this quite literally, but I, but I but I do think there is somewhat of a kind of a, a balance. Like so, like Nick Madrigal, and and you know, if you take our grades. We've got sixty five hit, forty power. I do think that with gifted hitters and he's a gifted hitter, that you know, maybe you you know, this is very oversimplified. Okay, that adds up to one oh five. You know, maybe he can make that sixty forty-five if he wants. Maybe he can make it fifty-five fifty. Now I personally don't see him as a fifty-five fifty hitter, but I do think like he he definitely is a, v- a hitter with high aptitude that you could kind of make adjustments. You know maybe you add you know some loft to your swing or you lower your hand position to try to get under the ball and drive it more. Maybe you try to turn on more pitches. You know if you do that, it it is going to impact your batting average. I think you can some, but. And maybe it's because he, he barely slugged, you know, what he slugged, 348 in his pro debut, that um, I, I have a little hard time. I, I do think there's definitely more power in there than he showed in his debut. I'm just not sure how much. And, and I I do think, you know, I, we, I, I'm doing it now. I'm conflicted again. I, I like Nick Madrigal a lot as a player. I thought he was the best player in college baseball last year. I thought he was the best player in college baseball as a sophomore. Um, he's just a great player. And I do think... And, I, and this is not why they took him, but I, I do think he was an easy big leaguer. Like, like there's no way Nick Madrigal's is not going to play in the big leagues. Now, you know, it may be you know, more of a, you know, I guess on the lower end of expectations, you know, maybe he's a 280 hitter and maybe he slugs around 380 with, you know, and he's like a 750 ops guy maybe. Um, but he's still going to, you know, run the bases well and give you value there and play gold glove defense. I, I don't think there's any way this guy isn't going to be a big league regular. So he, I think there's a lot of certainty with him. Um, and it's just, you know, at the top of the draft, do you – you know, try to swing for the fences and you take, like, you know, I wasn't the hugest guy in the world on Alec Baum who went right ahead of him. Um, You know, I think Alec Baum may wind up at first. I'm not totally sold that the the, the bat's a special. Some people thought it was, Um, you know, but do you see, do you roll the dice? I mean, to me, Alec Baum's probably either going to be a really good player or or not very useful at all. I don't think there's any in between. And I think Nick Madrigal at at worst – is going to be a, a second division regular. Um and I think I mean I think it works really, he's probably gonna be an average regular at second base. You know, he he just may give you the value a little different, you know. He's not going to hit 20 home runs, but he'll hit for a high average. He'll get on base at a pretty good clip. I, I think he'll walk more than he did last year, um, and he'll play good defense and run the base as well. So I, 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 you can tell. I, I'm still conflicted a little by him, um, but I, 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 I can see why the pick was. I just, you know, it, it wasn't the easiest pick in the world for whoever was going to pick him, because you know, a five-eight, you know, you know, not you know, impact swinging second baseman you know, that's tough to take at the top of the draft. But then, you know, he's also the best hitter in the draft and it's a plus run, and maybe it's Gold Glove's second base. That's a pretty nice package, too. So I'll be very curious to see, you know, getting back to the question, both Robert and Madrigal, I'm very curious to see how they do this year. Um, I think it'll be very, very interesting, and we'll, we'll probably get a much better handle, you know, assuming, especially if Robert stays healthy, as to what these guys can become.
0: So for Eloy Jimenez... I'm hoping we see him on April 15th, and that it is a quick call-up by the White Sox. We can call it the Chris Bryant call-up. He is MLB Pipeline's top outfielder to start the 2019 season, Jim. And and we saw last year great years from Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna in in 2018 for the Nationals and Braves, respectively. Do you think Eloy could have a similar breakout performance in 2019 when he does join the White Sox?
1: I, I do. I mean, and, and you know, I, I don't, I agree with you. I think that's the earliest he's going to be up. It just, it's unfortunate that this is what it's come to, but these are the rules. And if I was a White Sox, I'd do the same thing. Like, I can't, I don't really think the White Sox are going to contend. Although I'll drop my standard line about the teams that have the really good farm systems, a lot of times, you know, there's always a surprise. You know, a couple years ago it was the Brewers, last year it was the Braves. You know, maybe White Sox catch lightning in a bottle. But they're not going to really contend, probably. And so it makes sense not to call him up. I mean, if if you were bringing him up on merit, he would have been up last year. I mean, the way he hit at Charlotte in the last two months of the season, he could have hit in the big leagues. But, yeah, I mean, if you told me he hit, you know, 280 with 25 homers this year, I I could easily see that in that part. Um, I I could see that. And it's funny, on the show, which we're recording this on Saturday morning and the show will air tonight, um, so we've already recorded the show because we recorded the, the the top 100 show for MLB Network yesterday. I brought the point. I actually think Eloy is underappreciated um, because, hmm. well, just from the standpoint of you know, if, if I if I say to you. Who's the best prospect in minor league baseball? Who's the most exciting hitter in minor league baseball? Who are you going to say?
0: Vlad Jr. or maybe Fernando yeah, Tatis.
1: Yeah, everybody's going to say Vlad Jr. I think Tatis has a more well rounded package of skills. But Vlad Jr. is just, I mean, Vlad Jr. might be the best prospect in baseball in terms of just hitting ability. You know, you can go back. Act pretty much as far as you want. I'm not saying he's the best ever, but, I mean, I, 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 I don't know if you can come up with guys who are better. You know, you can come up with guys who are as good. And, you know, and then you have guys like A-Rod and Ken Griffey Jr. who are more well-rounded. That's different. But just in terms of, of hitting ability, hitting and power, I mean, Vlad's up there with just about anybody. And that said, so is Eloy. I mean, Eloy's not quite – I mean, I, we do have Vlad a little bit ahead of him. I mean, you're talking about Eloy, you know, is a guy. You know, we, we put grades on all this stuff, and, and I'm not going to claim we're the best scouts in the world, but we put a 65 on Eloy's bat and a 70 on Eloy's power. Um, that's pretty good. You don't see that too often. <laughs> um, and But, again, because of Vladimir Guerrero Jr., like, like if you just even look at the Rookie of the Year hype this year, it's Vlad, Vlad, Vlad. Eloy could easily win Rookie of the Year. I mean, you know, Eloy's going to put up numbers. So I just – I mean, not that anybody doesn't think Eloy is really good, but I almost think if it wasn't for Vlad, I think people would even appreciate Eloy a little bit more.
0: Well, now you got me pumped because it was just a couple of years ago I was excited about 55 power and 50 contact from a White Sox prospect, Jim. Uh, so yeah, I mean,
1: I'm telling you. I mean, the guy. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what did Eloy hit last year? I mean, he he was hurt and he still hit 337 and he still slugged 577. And he hit 22 homers, 108 games. I mean. I mean, and again, it goes to show the international guys, you got to take your time a little bit. You know, the Cubs signed him in 2013. I think he was our top rated prospect at MLB Pipeline. I don't do a lot of international stuff, but I'm pretty sure he was our number one guy. And in 14 and 15, uh, you know, he. I mean, you could see the tools, but he didn't really put up numbers. And you know, Glaber Torres, who was signed a, a pretty nice international class for the Cubs, Glaber Torres was in that same class, was outperforming him. I mean, Glaber hit, Glaber hit from day one, and you could see, oh, this guy's pretty good. And then in 2016, Eloy broke out, and he was he was unbelievable at the, at the Futures game where he homered and made that, that crazy catch where he fell over the wall, and he led the Midwest League, I think, in slugging and ops. It was the MVP at age 19. And since then, he's just crushed the ball. Um, and, like, I mean, he's put up numbers three years in a row. I mean, it's, it's performance, it's tools. Uh, he's going to be really, really good. And like I said, I mean, we're obviously excited about him. Everybody's excited about him. But, like, to me – I mean, rookie of the year, anything can happen, you know, because a lot of stuff changes. But, you know, to me, it's more of a 50-50 proposition between him and Vlad for rookie of the year. But in terms of rookie of the year hype, it feels like Vlad gets, like, 95% of it. Um, and Vlad is I, – I would take Vlad over Eloy, but Eloy's not that far off from Vlad, who, you know, like I said, ranks – I think we have 80 hits, 70 power on Vlad. Vladimir ranks with, like, any hitting prospect you want to bring up from the t- last 25 years – I don't know if you could. If you, you could have guys who might be as equal, like a Manny Ramirez or, you know, uh, uh, a Gary Sheffield. But if you're just talking hit plus power, you know, Miguel Cabrera. I don't know if you're gonna couple of guys who are better than Vlad.
0: Well, you could read Jim's always excellent work on MLBPipeline.com. Pipeline dot com. Listen to their podcast. He and Jonathan Mayo have great conversations about the top prospects in all of Major League Baseball. And, of course, watch him on MLB Network as well. You are a true media renaissance man these days, Jim. You're everywhere. (laughs) I try. (laughs) And as always, Jim, thanks for taking the time to join our show and look forward to speaking with you during the 2019 season.
1: Yeah, no, I look forward to it too. I'm sure we'll talk uh, uh, at least at the draft,
0: if not before the draft. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Jim. Yeah, thank you. Before we get into the Sox Fest audio highlights, a quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. We are so happy that they're back on for the 2019 season, helping support us and also helping you. Get the best deal on tickets and getting tickets online can be far too complicated with hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability it's hard to know who to trust and that's why SeatGeek is the way to go guys SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay there's nothing quite like being there in person and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for great value SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. They search multiple ticket sites and they grade every ticket based on value, which helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. You can make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source from everything from sports, concerts, to comedy and theater. I use SeatGeek all the time. I have the app on my phone. It's by far the easiest way I found to shop for tickets. Blackhawks games, Bulls games. If you want to go on the cheap, SeatGeek has great deals, and I use SeatGeek all the time to buy games to go to see the White Sox wherever they play. And best of all, Sox Machine listeners, you get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So if you've never used SeatGeek before, Download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and enter promo code SOCKSMACHINE. That's promo code SOCKSMACHINE and you get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. The 2019 Sox Fest concluded this weekend and usually the event signified the end of the off season, while the franchise transitions to preparing for spring training. That's not the case this year, as the Chicago White Sox are still in the hunt for Manny Machado. Here's Rick Hahn's opening statement to fans on Saturday morning about how he feels about the pursuit of Machado.
2: When we started this process, right, when free agency started, there was this perception that we were essentially an afterthought for premium free agents, that whether it's because we've never done such a thing before, or at least the organization hasn't done it since Albert Bell, Uh, or that we were only a couple years into a rebuild, so we were a year too early, so to speak, in doing these things, Uh, or it just wasn't anyone, we wouldn't be an organization that could recruit such a premium talent. Uh, In fact, Las Vegas had odds at one point on, like, the top six teams most likely to land one of these guys, and we weren't even listed. The fact that we sit here today in not only with a seat at the table, but a very... Optimistic, in my opinion, hopefully, chance to convert, or at the very least, we would be disappointed if we didn't. I think speaks volumes to those throughout the organization who help recruit these guys and help present our best foot forward and show that we're an organization that belongs at that table. Now, if it doesn't happen and we aren't able to convert, we're gonna be right back there a year from now when another opportunity arises. When you talk about how much of time do I spend each day. On this specific issue it would be I'd be lying if I didn't say it consumes a lot of our energy and a lot of our thoughts we obviously are working on other fronts have added a number of other players throughout this offseason and we're getting that work done but it's 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 uh, it's been an important priority for us we which at times has me in particular and perhaps others in the front office or perhaps others who follow the club falling into a bit of a trap of losing the forest for the trees When we started this thing a little over two years ago, we made it our mission to acquire as much premium talent as we could, first via trade, second internationally, and third through the draft. And ultimately, it was going to come down to being active in the free agent market. But never at any point was the success of this rebuild going to hedge or uh, be dependent on one guy. It was never going to be about just Moncada or just Kopech or or just Madrigal or Luis Robert or Eloy or Cease. It certainly isn't going to be about just Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. I'll be personally disappointed if we don't convert. At the same time, it does not change what we've accumulated over the last couple of years and how bright the future is if we, for
0: whatever reason, fall short. Later, White Sox television play-by-play announcer Jason Benetti asked Han a simple question. Notice the long pause by Rick Hahn.
2: Rick, what are you happiest about so far this offseason? It's not over yet for me I, I, let me like again I, the, the way the free agent market or even the trade market by by extension has played out over the last several winters we've sort of moved away from the socks date on the calendar sort of being essentially the unofficial start of the season sort of the kickoff before spring training there's still on our mind conversations we've had the last 48 hours there's still three or four potential acquisitions that we're working on if we're able to convert across the board on all these, then I think we're going to be able to take a step back and look at how we've uh, made progress this offseason towards our ultimate goal. But really, then we'll just be on to the next one. You know, Nick Hostedler and his staff is already out looking at who we're going to be drafting at pick number three. There's a handful of, of Elite amateur talent coming through Arizona the weekend, uh, President's Weekend in a couple of weeks. And as soon as the 2019 team is essentially put in place coming in the spring training, then we move on to the draft. So it's sort of a, an ongoing thing. It's an unsatisfying answer, but it is the truth.
0: It's only seven seconds, but it's very noticeable to see that Han did not have a quick answer about what he's most happiest about This offseason, he could have been happy with how the team has found ways in bolstering the bullpen or found cheap starting pitching help. I guess none of those moves make him quote unquote happy until the pursuit of Machado is over. And again, as he's reiterated many times, he'll be personally disappointed if the White Sox don't sign Manny Machado. Now we know the rumored offers made by the White Sox and Han was asked if the front office was willing to sign Machado at any cost.
2: Do we have no limits? No. Everyone has a limit on how far something you're willing to go on something. You also have to keep in mind that there are, at times, depending on the player, other elements beyond simply economics. So even if I stood up here and said, you know, as others have, we're going to spend stupid money this offseason, that doesn't guarantee you're going to get the guy. These guys have worked extraordinarily hard to earn this right to get the free agency, and there's a number of factors that factor in economics being part of it, Chance to win, location, spring training, family preference, all sorts of other elements that we try to address as well to make us the most attractive destination. Uh, we've prepared for this in turn from the economic standpoint. So we expect to at the very least go down swinging if we don't convert.
0: While the team does have limits, maybe it would have worked out better in Han's favor if the White Sox flew under the radar in their pursuit of Machado. A fan did ask Khan why they decided not to be the quote-unquote mystery team in their pursuit of Machado.
2: Look, I 100% agree that we operate better when it's under the radar. I get irritated with leaks. I get really irritated when there's reports that we made offers to players we never made offers to. I get really irritated when there's uh, reports that we're pursuing a guy and I don't even know who the agent is who we're supposedly going after. But we keep silent through all that so that when there is something that's actually accurate, we don't come out and, you know, confirm it or deny it.
0: Finally, if there is one move to look forward to this offseason, it's the White Sox finding help with the rotation. But if there isn't a fit, it sounds like Manny Banuelos may have the inside track for the fifth starting spot.
2: We're still in the market looking for reinforcements for the rotation. That said... As we sit here today, the competition for the fifth spot, at least initially, would probably be between Dylan Covey and Manny Benuelos, who Jason led off with today. Uh, You you did, specifically. (laughs) In Benuelos, he's a guy who is 27, 28 years old now, was a former top prospect of the Yankees, had a bunch of injury issues, and was slated to become a minor league free agent after finishing up successfully a year in AAA with the Dodgers. One of our scouts, Bill Young, when we were sort of going over the minor league free agent targets, Essentially, pounded the tables like no, no, no. This guy can help us win ball games now. He's back to being what he looked like when he was one of the top prospects. He can come in and step into that fifth spot, no problem. Now, so we are we're really optimistic about what we have here at Benuelos. That said, put any of the thirty GMs up here at this time of year, they'll say, yeah, we're looking for more pitching, and we're no exception.
0: We'll have more conversation about what Rick Hahn said at Sox Fest, the latest rumors on Manny Machado, and more reaction to the top 100 prospect lists. In a moment. But a quick word from our sponsor visit Arizona. Like those who live in Chicago, we don't need any excuse to get out of this winter. Six plus inches of snow, and in a couple of days, the wind chill could be negative 50 degrees. Negative 50. I don't know about you, but the idea of heading down to Arizona to see the White Sox at spring training sounds great right now. Arizona has so much to do and see. All the stadiums are within 50 miles of Phoenix so you can follow the White Sox around or stay at one of the many resorts in Arizona. Bring the family along as they have water parks or horseback riding that the family can enjoy. There's plenty of activities for all ages to partake in. Plus, the food options are great, and if you're an adventurous beer drinker like I am and enjoy visiting different breweries, check out Four Peaks or Goldwater Brewing Company. And you can't go to Arizona without checking out the Grand Canyon and Monument Valley 2. Best place to start your trip to Arizona is going to visit Arizona.com slash Spring Training. They have great ideas on places to stay, eat, drink, and visit. Make sure you go to visit Arizona.com slash springtraining to make plans of getting out of this cold and making your way down to Arizona this spring. Now joining me on the podcast to recap the SoxFest Fest weekend and the top one hundred prospect lists. Is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. It was great to see you this weekend at Buffalo Wings and Reigns for the Sox Fest after party.
3: Likewise, good seeing you and good seeing everybody. Like a bunch of people I've seen before, the 108ers, P-Nolls. Nice um, to meet new people, too. So the turnout was outstanding, especially for how cold it was.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. The weather was absolutely brutal. It took me an hour and twenty minutes to go from the uh, northwest side of Chicago, where I live, I, li- I live in uh, Lincoln Square for those who live in Chicago, all the way down to 35th and Halstead uh, as the snow was pretty brutal. But it-, it was great attendance for the weather, and as you mentioned, Jim, it's just great to-, to chat with everybody, fans of the show, uh, meeting them for the first time. It-, it was an absolute blast, and if you if you missed out. Uh, We are hoping to have it again next year. Uh, Shout out to Northwest Indiana Steve and the Section 108 guys for really putting that party together. They're absolutely great. Uh, Clint Cole of Future Sox was there. He's the new managing editor. Uh, I thought he and Penals had a great roundtable talking about the future of the team. And uh, also your roundtable, Jim, with our special guest, James Feagan of The Athletic. Uh, It was just a a lot of fun. So if you missed out, uh, we will try to have the party next year. I don't know if it's going to be a pregame or after party because it sounds like SoxFest is going to go through uh, some radical changes next year. Uh, these are not confirmed, but the rumors are is that SoxFest is not a three-day event next year. It will be a two-day event, and the location will be by the McCormick Place. So very much on the South Side. R.I.P. Bader, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I guess we need to pull our money together and buy Bader Brow's old building, Jim. Uh yep. <laughs> and everybody could walk uh, to the after party. So uh, yeah, I'll be interested to see what the White Sox have to say about that as far as finalizing Sox Fest for two thousand twenty. But that's the rumor right now is that the White Sox are moving further south to McCormick Place and instead of three days Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it's just two Saturday and Sunday next year be interesting to see how that works out but for this year's socks fest you just heard the audio highlights from rick khan and the central theme of this soxfest fest is manny machado of course hmm. and uh rick khan not trying to lose the forest through the trees and the face timing with manny machado during festivities from yoan Mikata and uh yonder alonso was, was quite interesting uh, Jim, we also got this question from Gukas Liagito on Twitter, and I think this is a good way to start this segment. And Gukas is asking, does the longer that Manny Machado goes on sign help the White Sox, hinder the White Sox, or have no effect on the White Sox chances to sign him? Um, because the White Sox are talking a lot about Manny Machado this past weekend.
3: I don't know. And I was asked the question at the meetup too, and basically you can look at it through multiple ways. I mean, like, if you want to be the most skeptical um, of their chances or of Machado's desire to be a White Sox, you can say, you know, they met more than a month ago. If the White Sox really wanted him, or if Machado really wanted to be with the White Sox, it probably would have happened by now, either by, you know, um, just sheer cash or cash plus Yonder Alonso and John Jay. You know, it's like everything is there for it to happen, and it hasn't happened yet, so... You know that's not encouraging. On the other hand, you know there isn't a whole lot of movement for either Machado or Bryce Harper. So you look at that and think like nobody is really favorites, and and um, you know you can basically take that kind of mindset, uh, skeptical mindset, and apply it for any of the fan bases for any of the teams that are theoretically in on them, like if, you know the Phillies you know, why haven't the Phillies landed either yet? Why haven't uh, the Nationals or, you know, now the Padres, you know, uh, you know, they're new to it. But basically any team that has expressed interest in them, you know, there's been plenty of time to get a deal done and nothing's happened. So, you know, maybe the White Sox are still the ones left standing. And it's really awkward that it hasn't happened at Sox Fest yet. And that, uh, you know, Rick Hahn has to have these circumspect quotes about, um, you know, whether they're winning or losing and how it'll be afterward.
0: And lately, or I should say the latest news about Manny Machado, uh, you have Dennis Lynn of the athletic who covers San Diego sports for the athletic. Uh, he tweeted out to the San Diego Padres, want to meet with Machado. There's some, it's a little unclear if they have already met with Manny Machado down in Miami, uh, because you have reports from the Dominican Republic, uh, those reporters have said the Padres have met with Machado and have not only have they met with Machado, they have already made an offer to Manny Machado. So these are the rumors. So now we, we have rumors that there could be the, we know the White Sox have made an offer, but now the Padres may have made an offer to the San Diego Padres. Again, these are all rumors and it just adds more to the noise here. Uh, But, you know, with the Padres being involved and let's say the Phillies just totally focus on their efforts on Bryce Harper instead of the two team race that we thought it was going to be between the White Sox and Phillies. Does it change your perception as far as if the White Sox lose out on the Manny Machado sweepstakes and he signs with a team like the San Diego Padres? Would you be pretty disappointed then, Jim, that the Padres came in this late in the game and were able to sign him away? Yeah,
3: I think so. Um, you know, when you look at the Phillies and, and you know, we've been stacking up the Phillies versus the White Sox for months, you know, the Phillies have the advantage of being closer to contention, you know, having that big influx of outside talent last year and then kind of shaping it to fit the roster better with better defense. And, you know, I think last year is the push to get people, you know, noticing them. And then this year is refining it and, you know, I guess optimizing it for NL East play. Uh, so you can understand why the White Sox might come up short if, all things being equal, Machado wants to go to the, the nearer contender. But when you have the Padres, who are basically in the same position as the White Sox, they always seem to be intertwined. Um, yeah, you know, They both have um, you know uphill climbs towards the top of the division. The Padres maybe are closer with their uh, top-end talent to kind of putting it... All together in the majors, for, whereas the White Sox are probably a two-year project with uh, matriculating their top minor league talent. Um, but still, they have the Dodgers, you know, to contend with at the top of the division. And then the Rockies are, you know, always strong. And the Diamondbacks, hard to tell what they're doing exactly. But, um, you know, the, the White Sox have the easier path to contention over the next few years. And, um, you know, just hard to tell, uh, you know, why, you know, aside from maybe climate or um, – you know, climate maybe might be the only uh, you know possible other argument for the Padres uh you know over the White Sox. So if it comes down to the White Sox not spending, and considering the Padres, you know, uh put up for Eric Hosmer last year and uh you know their payrolls are pretty much comparable otherwise, that would be um really hard to explain and hard to defend and uh really doesn't help Rick Hahn dispel the false narrative that he was talking about. Or, or a supposed false narrative, I should say.
0: Yeah, the Padres moved very quickly. I know people want to, like, poo-poo on the Padres rumor, but the Padres last year went from slight rumor on Eric Hosmer and we made fun of them for it, and then 36 hours later, a deal is done. Like, they move quickly. So I you have to take them seriously. If you're a White Sox fan that wants the team to sign Manny Machado, I wouldn't say... You know, don't think that the sky is falling and the White Sox are going to lose out to the Padres. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that you have to take the Padres seriously in their efforts here because it makes as much sense for them as it does for the White Sox. And they have proven to get big deals like this done in a hurry. Where we are, what, month two now in the White Sox pursuit of Manny Machado? Uh, yeah. So we'll we'll see how it all unfolds and I still feel like we're a couple weeks away from Manny Machado making a uh, a final decision. But now you have the players involved. You got like I said, you have Yonder Alonso and Yohan Mikata face timing with Machado during the Friday ceremonies. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe uh, FOMO, try to use the FOMO uh, to get Machado to decide to sign with the White Sox. Uh, hopefully, this comes to a resolution soon, and hopefully, the White Sox are the winners. But you- FOMO with Yo-Yo, <laughs> FOMO with Yo-Yo. There you go.
3: <laughs> that should have been the panel. That should have been. Uh, but no, I was really impressed with uh, Yonder Alonso. I talked about it at the uh, at the meetup, but uh, so far, you know, I- I'm still, I guess, bearish on what Alonzo can contribute to the White Sox, and I think it's, you know, a little bit of a um, low upside move for the position, but I've been nothing but impressed with him about how he's handled himself with the, you know, always having to answer about Machado, and, you know, fans ask him about it, and, and you know, he shows up at the Sox Fest, and he, uh, you know, didn't have to show up at the Sox Fest, he shows up, he, you know, he welcomes the Machado talk, even, you know, he, as you mentioned, he FaceTimes with them. Uh, Seems like he's doing the best he can under the circumstances with which he arrived. So uh, I'm, uh, I, I'm I'm pulling for him, even if I don't think it's going to work out all that great.
0: All right. So moving away from Manny Machado, as this is our fifth season, fifth episode of season six of this podcast. And that's five straight episodes talking about Manny Machado <laughs> and the White Sox pursuit of going after him. But, uh, you know, for the beginning part of the show, we had Jim Callis, our very good friend, join the show to talk about. MLB Pipeline's top 100 prospect lists, And Jim, they weren't the only ones that released their list. You had Baseball Prospectus release their top 100. And you also had Baseball America. This upcoming week, Keith Log, ESPN will, will release his top 100 list. So we'll have four top 100 lists to analyze and average those rankings. If you follow me on Twitter, I have been tweeting out that database. So you could see where all the White Sox prospects rank depending on the list. We'll have fan graphs as soon as they get to it, which they haven't announced when they're going to release it. That's just how they roll. Uh, but, you know, with the three top 100 lists that have been released, what is your initial reaction to where the White Sox rank?
3: Well, you know, I, I I guess the one that jumps out to me was Baseball Prospectus ranking Nick Madrigal 15th overall. Uh, I think of all the rankings and, you know, whether it's five or six prospects in the top 100 or, you know, even even seven if you like Luis Basave, Um, yeah, I think all the rankings were relatively within the spectrum, like Dylan Cease going from 21 to 38, you know, depending on which list you're looking at. That seems fair. Luis Robert, 40 to 76. I think, you know, 40 represents his upside. 76 represents the injuries. You know, I think that's a fair spectrum. Um, but yeah, with Nick Magical ranking 15th, that one really jumped out to me, uh, especially with the, you know, pro debut that was... Not all that impressive, and, you know, he had the wrist injury, which, you know, you can attribute some of those struggles to it, but, uh, you know, it didn't quite show a ton in his, uh, you know, first couple months to, you know, hint at that massive upside. Um, I I really liked Pipeline, you know, putting at least Robert ahead of Madrigal. You know, they were the only ones to do so. And, you know, it makes sense when you look at, uh, you know, if they really buy his upside, that upside is a 30-30 center fielder is uh, really hard to, you know, even though Madrigal might be kind of a great contact hitter for a a time in baseball where contact is valued. uh, I can still see Robert ahead of him. And uh, so I I do like the variety and
0: I think it's all pretty reasonable. Yeah. The, the top, the the top 15 ranking for Nick Magical is curious to me because they were the first one to be released. And I was wondering on how baseball America and MLB pipeline would follow because I think that just puts unnecessary pressure on magical right we we haven't really seen him play for a full season and all of a sudden people are thinking he's a top 15 prospect and that you know that comes with expectations and a lot of outside pressure and if he doesn't live up to top 15 ranking, you know Jim then people start getting disappointed in him uh, I, I think it's a bit too soon. And I think – I understand what you're saying with Luis Roberts ranking with Baseball America, but to me that's just way too low. I, I get it with the injuries, but if you watch them the Arizona Fall League, I think something has clicked. To me, Luis Roberts is a top 50 prospect, but whatever. Uh, I'm not going to go start creating my own top 100 lists because I don't follow all the systems that well. Uh, but it is interesting. We'll see how Keith Law ranks them, and then we'll see how Fangraphs ranks them. As well, I know Fangraphs, they're big fans, big, big fans of Nick Madrigal. So maybe Madrigal will get some more love as well. Uh, But currently right now from the Prospect Average Rankings Database, uh, with these three publications coming up with top 100 lists, we're at 135 prospects being mentioned. Uh, Baseball Prospectus and Baseball America have a lot of different players on each other's list when you compare the two. Uh, so we'll probably have that list grow to 150, and we'll have a, a good idea out of 150 prospects that showed up on top 100 lists. How many the White Sox have right now? They currently have six prospects. And you guys had a lot of questions this week, so let's open the first mailbag of 2019 in po Sox. Next on the Sox Machine Podcast.
1: It's Mattress Firm's semi-annual sale, where you can save up to $300 on our top-rated brands like Sealy and Sleepies. Plus, get a free adjustable base when you spend $6.99 on Sealy. Or buy Tempur-Pedic and get a $300 instant gift good towards sleep accessories. Shop Tempur-Pedic, Stearns and & Foster, and more with our sleep experts today to find your best sleep. Only at Mattress Firm. Offer valid with qualifying purchase. Restrictions apply. Valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com sale. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now, to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here
0: is P.O. Socks. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by tweeting your questions to us at Socks Machine or posting your questions on our Facebook page at slash Sox Machine. Or helping support the podcast and the website by becoming a friend of the show. Signing up at patreon.com slash Machine. And of course, answering your questions in PO is Jim Margulis. And Jim, the very first question of our first mailbag in 2019 comes from Pete Chapman. And Pete is asking you, Jim, the White Sox are preaching more position flexibility with players on the Major League Baseball team. They basically don't move guys around at all last year in a complete tank or development year. Do you believe them when they say players will move around more this year and moving forward? Yes and no. I think when it comes to last year and you have, you know,
3: Yohan Moncada in his first full season, Daniel Palka in his first, basically full season, uh, I can see the argument for trying to keep them at one position, try to simplify things as much as possible and hope that, you know, Fully realize their offensive potential by the end of the year. I don't think that quite happened, but I understand where they're coming from, especially like say if they think about Gordon Beckham and the move from you know third to second for him and how his offense, yeah, you know, basically his offensive development went down with it. I think it's probably more of a coincidence, but uh you know, that just happened to be the case. But I, I think uh the the problem, I guess, with thinking there's gonna be a whole lot more in store is you know, it really depends, you know, if say if the White Sox sign Manny Machado. And he plays third base, and it sounds like he would, uh, based on what Renteria said over the Soxfest uh, week, that Machado said he'd be up for playing wherever they wanted him to play. Seems like it would be Tim Anderson at short and uh, Machado at third, and so you don't really need Moncada at third, you know, very often, especially if Yulmer Sanchez is there, you know, as a super sub. You know, so it seems like you know, I guess maybe uh, that ship has sailed when it comes to developing that position for him. Uh, with Polka, you know, you have Yonder Alonso, you know, taking DH in first base. And so it should be pretty much a uh, kind of a straight, you know, mix and match with yeah, Alonso and Jose Abreu at those positions. And given that Polka's lefty and Alonso's a the lefty, there really isn't a whole lot there when it comes to opportunities. So when it comes to position flexibility, it really comes down to maybe Yolmer Sanchez stretching out and maybe trying to be you know, maybe appearing in left field or um yeah, I don't think he's quite a center fielder, but maybe in a corner spot to try to get him more playing time. Otherwise there isn't really a whole lot of shifting around unless you really consider, you know, going from right to center with John Jay or, you know, whoever, you know, Jock Peterson, whoever's there, uh, you know, should they land him? Maybe then, you know, there's more shifting. But otherwise, um, if the White Sox are able to capitalize on everything they hope to do, then maybe
0: that's a conversation for another time. And it's more of a spring training thing. Pete, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Brett Ruby. And this kind of touches on from our winter meetings wish list. And Brett is asking you, Jim, do you know if the White Sox have explored a Zach Greinke trade with Arizona? His leadership and prep would greatly aid the young pitchers and the White Sox aren't positioned to provide salary, salary relief. Are the White Sox on his no-trade clause? Maybe one instance where our lack of national attention is a benefit.
3: Well, uh, I can answer that question, <laughs> I guess, you know, the the no-trade part. Um, the Sox are not on his no-trade list, so, you know, that's not in the way. But I was looking at Granky rumors or the lack of him, um, you know, searching for him because I hadn't heard anything from anybody about him. And you know, going back to the winter meetings or just after, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks general manager Mike Hazen said, "I'm not optimistic anything is going to happen uh, with regards to a Granky trade." They pretty much thought they were going to keep them. and that seems to have borne out. And you know, especially I think that's notable with how many trades have happened with big salaries. Um, this seems to be the off season where teams are more into shifting money than taking you know fresh contracts on. So. It would seem like if they wanted to move him, they might be able to find takers, but perhaps they're not interested in the sheer salary dump, so uh, there isn't a whole lot there for them. Um, especially, I think, when you look at Dallas Keuchel and the fact that he's not signed and there aren't really compelling rumors, I think a team acquiring Keuchel would be... Um, you know, kind of acquiring Granke for the same reasons, you know, a, a good veteran pitcher with you know, good years left. And you know, especially in the case, of Granke and Keikel both are excellent defenders. I think both are considered, um, you know, gold glove candidates. So if you're looking at slowing down the running game or defending the position, they both do the same thing there too. So, you know, I think with the White Sox, if they were interested in acquiring any player, you know, if, and if Arizona wants you know, significant talent back for a Granky and not just you know moving cash. Then you know, probably Keuchel's a better bet, and uh, I haven't heard anything connecting the White Sox to Keuchel either. So it really is kind of a dead market, and I think with Granky, it's just more probably the Diamondbacks' intent than uh, any kind of lack of league-wide interest.
0: Yeah, Arizona's in a weird spot right now. I I, I don't know what to make of the Arizona Diamondbacks. It seems like they're stuck in the middle between yeah. not really competing. Or being a series contender in the National League West or National League Wildcard, but they're not completely tanking either. Yeah,
3: with Goldschmidt, I think you know the fact that he only had one year left, um, that didn't seem to be a total tank job to trade him. You know, especially if they want to use him to try to solve other positions. You know, maybe they thought that was his best value for 2019 was getting like a Carson Kelly type and trying to free him from beyond behind. Yadier Molina, get him full-time at bats and see if you can get like a star or close to star quality catcher. Catcher is such a dead position around the league that I think you know Kelly, even being you know halfway good, would be probably a top ten catcher. Um, So maybe they thought that using him to solve a position or two for the future was the best use, and then maybe reevaluate after uh, you know 2019 free agency. Maybe they bring him back. You know, maybe that's possible for them. So um, yeah, it's they're in a weird position, but I think. The Goldschmidt deal might have gotten people's wheels spinning with thinking that they would, uh, you know, have more of a tank in them. But right
0: now, it's probably just uh, reallocating resources. Brett, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Gnome, and Gnome is asking: Is there anything the White Sox could do this off season that would make you think they had a shot at winning the division in two thousand nineteen? Well, I guess it's
3: shot. Um, are you anything thinking like 10% chance or something like that, um, you know, versus, you know, anything more bankable. Probably I would say signing Machado, uh, signing Keichel and acquiring Jock Peterson, three things that have, you know, or at least uh, Machado and Peterson have been discussed. You know, Keichel's just kind of a, a theory or uh, a theoretical acquisition at this point. But, uh, you know, those three signings, Maybe give them a puncher's chance. you will get into the eighty win total and see what happens. I think they're trying to set themselves up in a way with the bullpen by you know acquiring Calame and signing Kelvin Herrera. They're in a position you know where the the fastest way to beat projections is with a crazy bullpen performance. Yeah, I don't think they're selling out for that outcome. I think you know maybe trading for Craig Kimbrel or uh, signing Craig Kimbrel rather would be the way to uh, do that. But I think they're taking a more conservative approach to the bullpen with and Herrera, but I think, you know, maybe with those two and, you know, maybe Ian Hamilton making a big jump, uh, I, maybe Zach Birdie, you know, if he gets all his stuff back being a factor, maybe there's a way to get 10 extra wins on top of that 80 win total and, you know, get into the play, uh, post-season via the AL Central. But I think ultimately any kind of huge jump like that relies too much on Lucas Giolito for my liking. Um, just, you know, needing him to be uh, a full season's worth of decent starts. Um, I'm not quite sure that he's there yet. So, uh, and it also requires, you know, above average play from either uh, Eloy Jimenez or, you know, Tim Anderson, Yohan uh, Makata, uh, two-thirds of the outfield. Uh, you know, it's a little bit uh, shaky there. So, if they, you know, made a massive acquisition <laughs> a chain with, uh, you know, those three I mentioned – Maybe that's enough to do it, but I still think it's probably one more year of consolidating talent before making the one big push towards
0: uh, central contention. Even then, they're going to need some injuries to Cleveland.
3: Yeah. But, you know, I think Cleveland's thin, or at least we saw what they look like when they're thinner and having to make choices with their talent, especially with the bullpen last year. And uh, they're not, they're still, their depth chart isn't. Uh, That's solid this year either, at least yet.
0: No, their outfield is terrible. Uh, This is the Indians. Very good starting rotation. Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez. That's Cleveland. And right now, Cleveland could probably win 90 games with that combination with a shaky bullpen and terrible outfield because... You have some really bad teams in the division. Yep. They they can be had. They can be had. Only if somebody else in the American League Central decides to step up. And I understand where Rick Hahn is getting coming from, that while 80 wins would be great, he's more focused on trying to build a team that can consistently win 95 games a season. But I think you alluded to this on Twitter, Jim. When the White Sox win 80 games, I'll be the first time in his 10 year as general manager the White Sox have reached that mark. Yep. Oh, I don't know. I'm 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 selling low on the Indians. I am I'm not. You know, there's some people who think they can win 93 games. I don't see that. Uh, but I could see them winning the American League Central with an 85 and 77 record, and then everybody else in the division is just going to look at each other and be like, "Did we miss out?" Did we miss an opportunity here? Yeah, you did. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens, Noam. But it, it, if they could do what you said, Jim, and if Cleveland has, like, if Francisco Lindor misses a month, then yeah. Or even Corey Kluber misses a month, then yeah. I think that gives him a window of opportunity. But it'll have to be the combination of, of what Jim pitched and, uh, some major injuries to the Indians to allow the White Sox to go from 100 losses to winning the American League Central. What a turnaround that would be, Jim. Yep. (laughs) That'd be one of the biggest turnarounds in Major League Baseball history.
3: Except with the uh, Royals, you can't even say worst to first.
0: Nope. Fourth to first. And thank you guys so much for submitting questions this week to PO Sox. And PO Sox is back For the 2019 season, we'll be excited to see what kind of questions that you guys have. And we'll try to tackle as many as we can on future episodes of the Sox machine podcast, but that will do it for this edition of the Sox machine podcast. I want to thank our guest, Jim Callis of MLB.com for joining again. Always great to have him on and such terrific insight into the white Sox farm system and all prospects throughout major league baseball as well. I'd like to thank uh, also, our sponsors as well as SeatGeek coming back and helping support the show. Always grateful for them. And also, visit Arizona, especially for those that live in Chicago with what is coming this week. You may really want to think about going to Arizona for spring training. Also, huge thanks. Huge thanks to our supporters on Patreon.com slash And if you don't support us on Patreon right now, I, I highly recommend it. Not only do you get an ad-free edition of the podcast, but you get an opportunity to ask questions to our guests, and you get additional content every single week from our guest interviews. For example, our Patreon supporters got to hear Jim Callis break down Zach Collins, and why on his top 100 list he had seven White Sox players on his top 100. You could find out who that seventh player was and why they had him on his list. And if you're really interested in getting that additional content, not just from the show, but Jim's been doing mailbags as well on socksmachine.com or you just really enjoy the work that we do and you want to make sure that we're around to keep doing it, go to patreon.com/socksmachine to sign up. There's several tiers that you can sign up for. Starts at $2 a month. And it greatly helps as far as in our ability to continue to do the show and the stuff that we do on the website. So again, go to patreon.com slash socksmachine to sign up to help be a friend of the podcast and site. But that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the show, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Audioboom.com slash socksmachine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.
2: Me, 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 but also you. (laughs) The Pharaoh
1: fast-forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut.